Hello, and welcome back to the Barefoot Books podcast. In this Armenian story, a shepherd's daughter refuses to marry Prince Vachagon until he learns a trade. For no one knows the twisting of fate, and his newfound skill might just save his life. After the story, go to barefootbooks.com to find the complete Fabrics of Fairy Tale collection. This is the story of Clever Ananit, an Armenian story about wool. Once in the land of Armenia, a fine young prince called Vachikan was born. As he grew up, he learned all the courtly arts, languages, music and poetry. But his favourite pastime was hunting. One spring morning when Vachikan was out hunting, he came across a small village. He had been riding for hours under the hot sun. His mouth was parched and his head was swimming. Around the well stood a group of girls filling their buckets with cool, fresh water. Seeing how hot Vachikan looked, one of them lifted a pitcher of water to him. Vachikan was about to drink from it when another girl snatched the pitcher from him and poured the water back into her own bucket. Vachikan stared as the girl refilled the pitcher and poured it back into her bucket again. This she repeated several times, as if to tease him, then finally lifted the pitcher and offered it to him. Vachikan gulped down the water, then looked up. Is it the custom here to tease strangers? he asked. I did not mean to tease you, answered the young girl. You were very hot, and it would have harmed you to drink the cold water. You needed to cool down a little first. The girl's reply impressed Vachikan, as did her beauty. "'What is your name?' he asked. "'I am Ananit, daughter of Aaron the shepherd,' she replied. "'Who are you?' Vachikan smiled. "'I cannot tell you now, but you will learn soon enough.' With that, Vachikan returned to the palace, where he announced that he wished to marry Ananit, the shepherd's daughter. His mother protested, "'Vachikan!' Many princesses are worthy of your attention. A prince should not marry a shepherdess. But Vachikan was determined. Finally, his parents agreed to send a messenger to Ananit's village with gifts and an offer of marriage. Aaron the shepherd welcomed the royal messenger and laid a carpet down before him. 
Upon this the messenger placed fine cloths, jewels and precious oils. When he introduced himself, Ananit smiled. So, the handsome stranger was Prince Vachikin, she thought to herself. But when the messenger asked for Ananit's hand in marriage on behalf of the prince, she frowned. Tell me, she asked, what is the prince's trade? The messenger looked aghast. He is the prince. He has no need of a trade, for all the king's subjects are his servants. Prince one day, pauper the next, replied Ananit. Everyone should have a trade, for no one knows the twisting of fate. I will not marry a man without a trade. The messenger carried Ananit's reply to the palace, where the queen and the king secretly breathed a sigh of relief. But Vatican was not discouraged. Ananit's counsel is wise, he said. Of course all men should have a trade. And he summoned the royal advisers to help him choose a profession. After much discussion, it was decided that weaving would be the most suitable trade for a prince. A craftsman from the royal workshop was assigned as his tutor. Within the cycle of seasons, Vatican had mastered his craft. Vatican wove for Ananit a beautiful carpet, depicting a garden. Then he summoned a royal messenger to carry the carpet to the home of Aaron the shepherd. Ananit smiled when she was presented with the carpet and willingly agreed to the marriage. So Vatican and Ananit were wed. The festivities lasted seven days and seven nights. There was music and dancing, and the tables fairly groaned under the weight of all the food. The young couple lived happily together, and when the old king and queen died, Vatican was crowned king. In the years that followed, there was much rejoicing, for never had the people of Armenia been ruled so justly. However, as the years passed, a strange thing began to occur. People would come to the palace and report their friends and relatives missing. Mothers told of sons who had not returned from the marketplace. Wives told of husbands who had disappeared. As the number of reports grew, so did the concern of the king and the queen. It is strange, said Ananit, that so many people should disappear. Perhaps you should ride out among our people and see for yourself. And so dressed as a peasant, Vatican set out, leaving clever Ananit to rule in his place. He sat by village wells and listened to the gossip and walked unrecognised amongst his wealthiest and poorest subjects alike. Everywhere he went, he heard stories of missing people, but still he was no closer to solving the mystery. One day he came to a busy town. There in the marketplace, he caught sight of a crowd of men. Moving closer, Vatican saw that they were hovering around a man dressed as a priest. He was singing, and to one side of him sat another priest. The man's voice was clear and sweet. It had a strangely hypnotic quality about it, and the man encircling him seemed oddly silent. The singer and his fellow priest turned and began to walk towards the town gates. As if in a trance, the crowd followed him, and Vatican accompanied them. 
From the gates they processed out into the countryside and towards the hills. There they reached a high stone wall in which there stood a great heavy wooden door. The first priest took a large key from the folds of his cloak and unlocked the door. Inside the door was a huge square. On one side of it stood a great temple whose stone shone red in the sun. On another side stood a smaller temple. Vatican and the man were led to this temple, which concealed the entrance to a cavern. One by one the men filed through the doorway. Behind them the iron door groaned shut. Darkness closed about them, and Vatican and his companions stumbled blindly forwards. The air was cold and dank. As their eyes adjusted to the gloom, they saw a thin and bent figure hobbling towards them. Follow me, he rasped, barely lifting a bony, gnarled hand to show them the way. They were led through three huge caverns, filled with men in as pitiful a state as their own guide. Each of them toiled at a trade, some stitching, others carving or knitting. Alas, gasped their guide, that evil priest has led you too to your doom, for everyone who is brought to this place must surely die, though some more quickly than others. All those with trades work until they die, while those without are put to death immediately. At that moment a priest approached, escorted by armed guards. He pushed the guide roughly to one side and addressed the men. Which of you here has a trade? Vatican stepped boldly forward and spoke. We all do, for we can weave carpets the like of which you will have never seen before. They are more valuable than gold and as fine as the down on a bird's breast. The priest's eyes narrowed as he gave orders for the necessary materials to be bought. If your boast proves to be untrue, then you will all be skinned alive, he snarled. At once the team was set to work and Vatican instructed them. The men's back were bent for hour after hour over the loom as their shuttles flew back and forth. Their eyes ached from following the fine pattern in the gloom. Their skin paled and they grew thin and gaunt. But slowly under the guidance of Vatican, the most beautiful carpet began to emerge. Its rich coloured threads were woven into intricate patterns while gold thread formed sacred symbols and signs of good fortune. And embroidered into the complex tapestry was a message. It told of Vatican's imprisonment and his whereabouts, but it was visible only to the most discerning eye. Finally, the carpet was completed. The priest was indeed impressed. This carpet is fit for royalty, Vatican hinted for there are ancient signs and symbols woven into the cloth that would not be understood by common folk. And I am sure that even Queen Ananit would marvel at its beauty. I warrant you she would pay you handsomely for it. That very night, the priest set off for the palace. Queen Ananit had ruled wisely in Vatican's absence. But now, as the year was drawing to a close, she worried for her husband's safety. Whenever merchants, minstrels and other travellers visited the palace, she listened closely to their stories, hoping for news of Vatican. 
One morning, as Queen Ananit sat in the palace garden, a servant announced the arrival of a priest. Your Majesty, the servant said, this visitor boasts of a woven carpet fit only for the eyes of a queen. When the priest was admitted, he bowed and proceeded to unroll the carpet with a flourish. Ananit's attendants gasped with amazement as the light caught the golden threads of the carpet. But Queen Ananit gave the carpet hardly a second look. Her heart was heavy, and she was constantly distracted now by the fear that some misfortune had befallen her husband. The priest, sensing her lack of interest, began to praise every detail of the carpet. Your Majesty, there is no other carpet like this one. It outshines the stars and is more delicate to the touch than the petals of a rose. But what is more, O oh Majesty, it is endowed with magical properties. It has signs and symbols that may be understood only by one as wise as yourself. Ananit's attention was caught at last. Holding a corner of the carpet in her hands, she saw letters woven cleverly into the design. She read the message with growing excitement, realising that it came from Vachikan. It explained that the bearer of the carpet was his jailer. It described the terrible suffering of the king and his companions, and it gave the whereabouts of their prison. Quickly, Ananit ordered the priests to be seized and the army to be summoned. She herself rode at their head and led them from the palace. They rode for some time, closely following Vachikan's directions. At last, Ananit saw ahead of them the top of the red stone temple. Mistaking the clamouring of Ananit's army for the sound of more prisoners arriving, the priests unlocked the gates, and the army rode straight in. Within minutes, the royal soldiers had captured all the priests and forced open the great iron door that led to the secret caverns. Out stumbled the prisoners, blinded by the bright sunlight, and near to death from the ill-treatment they had suffered. Last of all came Vachikan, carrying in his arms a man too weak to walk. Ananit and Vachikan embraced, tears falling from their eyes in their joy at seeing each other again. Freed at last from their living hell, the men threw themselves at Queen Ananit's feet, crying, One thousand blessings to Queen Ananit, who has saved our lives today. As the cheers grew fainter, Vachikin spoke. My friends, it is not once, but twice that our queen has saved us. For many years ago she insisted that all men should have a trade, even a king's son. Praise be to her for her wisdom, for without it we would all have surely perished. As the weeks passed, the news of Vachikin's adventure spread throughout the kingdom and the wisdom of the beautiful Queen Ananit was celebrated in story and song. And while not a thread remains of the beautiful carpet that Vachikan once wove with the aid of his fellow captives, we still have, for as long as tongue is willing to tell and ear to listen, the golden thread of his story. That's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now you can visit barefootbooks.com slash podcast to find special offers, join our email list, and listen to past episodes of the Barefoot Books podcast. 
see you next week. Bye.